So if you have your Bibles, um, let's go to Matthew 5, 8. I'm going to linger here a bit. One more week as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 8. Especially in these initial weeks as we pay particular attention to the Beatitudes. It was my intention to move on to uh, Blessed are the Peacemakers, um, Matthew 5, 9, but I, I just couldn't do it. I kept getting drawn back to Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It was like I felt like I had some unfinished business here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We covered the pure in heart, if you'll remember, just as a, a way of a little recap, a pure heart. Uh, in the Christian sense, is an undivided heart that is singular in its pursuit and affections towards God. Amen. Singular in that. And as I said last week, based on Psalm 12, or excuse me, Psalm 24 and 1 John chapter 3, that the single pursuit of our heart, the single pursuit of our lives, the great affection of our heart, it must be God. And that, that cannot be divided. In fact, Jesus said so himself in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus said when describing our love compared to our love for the world, our love for our other people, our love for our relationships compared to our love for him. He said, it's got to look like hate. Every other relationship in your life must look like hate compared to your affections for Christ. Amen. He's not saying we have to hate them. He's saying that it has to look like that. It's got to be, there's got to be such an imbalance between what we, what we pursue Christ with versus what we pursue everything else with. It's got to be that imbalanced. And then everything else has to flow from that imbalance. We should have called this sermon the great imbalance, I suppose. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's undivided, an undivided heart that loves God. Now, God does not share his allegiance with anyone or anything. Amen. That much is clear. Amen. That much is clear from the great and first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's clear from what Jesus said, except a man hates all these other people, he cannot be my disciple. Amen. God doesn't share his allegiance. It is the pure heart, the undivided, singular heart, the heart that is not shared with anyone or anything, that heart that will see God. And I felt like I just needed to spend a little bit more time on that, seeing God. Because seeing God, His glory, His presence, His wisdom, His salvation, His joy, seeing Him, seeing Him, that is the ultimate purpose of a pure heart. I made a pretty bold statement last Sunday when I said that God has to be the single purpose of your life, He has to be the single pursuit of your heart. 
And I looked out in the crowd when I said that, and I had some faces like that. That's what it means to have a pure heart. And I know that for some of you, when I said it, it was prickly, and it didn't sit so well. And even when they heard it later on the uh, video, they hear it, and it's prickly, and it doesn't sit so well. You mean I can't have other desires? You mean I'm not, a, not allowed to follow my dreams? I can't have a, a career? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't He want me to have all the desires of my heart? But, but God wants me to have all the... God want, but God wants me to be happy. And, and in the face of those objections, I said that if that is your reaction, then sadly you have not seen God and you don't know Him. And that's kind of a shocking statement. It's kind of an absolute statement. And I, I admit that. And I said that, I crafted that statement on purpose. Um, I wanted it to be a heavy statement. I wanted it to land hard. I wanted it to sit hard. I wanted you to have to struggle with the weight of it and to wrestle with it, to struggle to get it out of your mind. I wanted it to stick in your craw, as we say in Northeast Texas. So I come back to it this morning to hopefully offer you a little bit of relief by telling you that your happiness, your, your real, abiding, fullest happiness is in seeing God through a pure heart, an undivided pursuit of him that's where it's at but I want to be happy well that's where you find happiness C.S. Lewis was writing about the things that we desire and the things that we pursue and he, he said this about that he said it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's not that we want too much, it's that we want too little. Luke chapter 12, 32 Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. It is your Father's good pleasure. It pleases God to give you the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Psalm 34.10, the young lion suffers and wants and hungers. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Lions want and hunger. They're just as much His creation as we are. But guess what? They don't seek God. We do. And those who seek God lack no good thing. 
Psalm 84.11, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor. and This is His nature. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Nothing good is withheld from those who are walking uprightly with Him. Psalm 4, verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than when they have grain and wine in abundance. So all their stuff, is just, their, their grain and their wine, their barns are overflowing, their pocketbooks are full, their garage is full, and you've put more joy in my heart than all of that. You, O oh Lord. So when I tell you that the treasure of your life should be God, and your single pursuit should be God, and your whole heart should be toward God as he has commanded, and that causes you even a little tinge, that causes you to wince, that causes you to back up and object like, but God wants me to be happy? Then no, dear one, you don't know him. You don't know that God. Because if you did, you would rejoice at that proclamation. You would say, yes, amen, yes. Because in Him I live and move and have my being. He is God alone. Only He can supply. Though the world around me crumbles, though my body fails... Though they mock me and scorn me and persecute me and revile me, I lift my eyes to you. You are my salvation. You are my treasure. I lift my eyes to you, my peace and my joy. Like Paul said, you know, none of this matters. All of this is but loss. I count all of this as rubbish. I see you, my glory, my God, and my King. That is what a solid, that is what an undivided rock-solid, pure pursuit of God looks like when we see Him through a pure heart, undivided. Oh yeah, God wants you to be happy. So very, very happy. Jesus said to stay connected to the vine. Stay connected to Him. Abide in the vine. Be connected and bear much fruit. Keep His commandments. Be disciples who make disciples. Love one another. And then He said, guys, these things I'm telling you so that your joy may be full. I'm telling you all. I'm giving you this instruction in order that your joy may be full. So that your joy, you can be completely, fully happy. I want you to be happy. So do, do that. Stay connected to me. Not just connected, but abide in the vine. That means, that means you got to get all your sustenance. You got to get everything you get from me. The branch cannot live apart from the vine. So yeah, he wants you to be happy. He wants you to be so very happy. But he wants you to be happy with better things. Quit settling for lesser things. Quit settling for slummy mud pies when he's offering you glorious beaches. So what does it mean to see God? 
The pure in heart shall see God. What does that mean? Everybody will see God. But it will not go well for everyone who does. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in body, whether good or evil. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 describes for us what this is going to look like. In Matthew 25 verse 31, he begins by saying, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him we will be gathered, will be gathered all the nations. That's everybody. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then on down in verse 41, we see what happens to those that he separates out to the left. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. These are the goats. Depart from me, you cursed, into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So everyone ultimately sees God. And it won't go well for everyone. It won't be a good experience for everyone. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are those who who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is a promise. It's a, a reward for the pure in heart. So we ought not to fear this thing. This is a good thing. Amen. It's a good thing to see God for the pure in heart. So certainly, most solidly, most concretely, it means that we have a future hope. Amen. Amen. Not a future dread, but a, a future hope. This is something for us to look forward to. It's a future hope. A future glory. The pure in heart are the ones to whom Jesus will say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. The ones who are separated out to the right. Come, you are blessed. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he will say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Our seeing is a good thing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that we will see him face to face. So right now we see him as a, in a mirror darkly, dimly, but then face to face, future hope, future glory. Right now it's partial. Right now there are things we just don't quite get. There are things we don't quite understand. But then face to face, there's a hope. 1 John 3 and 2, we are told that we will see him as he is. We look at this last week. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Amen. We will be like him. We will see him as he is, standing there face to face. And then in Revelation 22.4, it paints us a glorious picture. John the Revelator does of, of all of God's people standing around God's throne, gathered, serving him in Worshiping him, and it says that they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is concrete. This is the, the real, literal reality 
for those who actually will actually really literally see God, for the pure in heart, the concrete reality of the promise to the pure in heart. And it's not just that we will see him, but we will be with him in his presence, in the presence of God. And it won't be a terrible or frightening thing. As John points out in 1 John 2, 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, live in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Have you ever, has it ever occurred to you that all throughout Scripture, whenever the presence of the Lord has appeared or the messenger of the Lord has appeared, men tremble, they quake in fear. They shrink back. They they fall to their faces in terror. This began in the Garden of Eden, and it never stopped. He is God. There's no one like him. And they tremble in fear when God appears in his glory. Even when when, uh, Peter, James, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they saw Jesus in his glory, what did they do? They fell to their faces. They trembled. But John says, abide, and that means live in him so that we won't shrink from him when he comes. I mean, Psalm 76, who can stand before the Lord? And John says, little children, abide in him so that when he comes, you won't, you won't shrink before him. You won't shrink before him. So that, so that we, we live in him, we pursue him, we get everything we've got from him. He is our all in all so that when he comes, we won't shrink before him. Amen. So that unlike any other time in history, when the Lord appears, instead of falling down in terror, we will run toward him joyfully like little children towards their little daddy. Welcome home, daddy. I remember coming home from work and my baby girls holding their hands up to me. And that, that, there's, a, there's a safety that they feel in that. Do you understand that when these people tremble before God, they do so out of, because He is holy and righteous and He holds their, their fate in His hands. Amen. Who can stand before the Lord is not... That, that is, a, that is a fear that says, I am, when Isaiah went before God, I am undone. That was his reaction. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. He is holy and I'm not. I am undone. And then if we have a pure heart, we will see God and not, not shrink from him because oh, he's dead. There's a safety that we have and a trust. We can run to him and say, oh, daddy's home. I don't know if that image does anything to you, but man, it just sets my soul ablaze. We see him through a pure heart, a heart that pursues and desires, desires and delights in him. Delights in him. So yes, we have a future hope, absolutely, and a future glory, without a doubt. That's what it means, they shall see God. 
And that is a, a blazing reality that is brighter and more real than a thousand suns. And it ought to be brighter and more real than a thousand suns in your own life. It is so bright and so real that it should permeate every part of your life. That's why I said it that way. So what do we do with it right now? What do we do with that future glory today? With that future hope today? If we press into that that blazing, bright reality, that supreme treasure of our heart, that light will shine so bright and brilliant, it will flood into every other pursuit and desire in your life. That's why it's okay that God is the single pursuit of your heart. That's why it's okay that God is the single desire of your heart. In pursuing Him, in chasing Him, there will be other things that come. It will flood your relationships. It will flood your your career decisions. It will flood your spending decisions. It will flood your recreation decisions. You will find joy and recreation in doing things that other people will look at you and say, that doesn't look like fun. That looks like work. Why do you think people give up their vacations and their sick days to travel across the country and across the world to work in missions? To rebuild homes and houses and build hospitals and and to build levees and and to feed the hungry and to, to, to care for the sick. Why do you think they do that? Give up their free time and their money to do that. Why do you think they spend their money not on boats or cars or concert tickets or expensive clothes, but they spend it on other people, on the poor and the sick and the widows to take care of them? Why do you think they do that? The blazing light of Christ... And their pursuit of Christ and Him and Him alone has spilled over into those areas of their life. Chasing after Him. And chasing Him. All this, they're chasing, they're chasing, they're chasing Him in doing these things. He is so bright. His treasure is so precious. And they're pursuing Him for their own joy. They wouldn't do it if it didn't make them happy. You can ask them. Does this make you happy? Not one of them will tell you, oh, it's miserable. Some of them are sleeping. They're going, I mean, just ask the, oh, watch the documentaries on the Christians that went into the Ebola, the Ebola outbreak. Michaela's reading a, a book about that. The Christians that went in to work when the Ebola outbreak happened. And, and, and not one of them will tell you this was this was wretched. I mean, the, the situation was awful. The circumstances were, ter- were terrible. And they, I mean, there were, Awful conditions, but not one of them will tell you that they hated it. They did it all for the joy of their heart, the joy of serving God, the joy of helping those people. Many of them died. Horrible conditions, horrible death. Their insides liquefied by the virus. But like Christ, who... Endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. When you pursue, when he is the single pursuit of your heart, that light is so bright. All those other things, even, gosh, even even the bad stuff, even the the horrible stuff, even the pain, even the torture, even the the sickness, even the disease, even, even even the hardship, become strangely dim. There's just a few things I, I want to mention. This is such a huge subject. It's hard to cover in one, in one service. Um, but uh, just a couple things I want to mention. Seeing God today. 
means that we can approach him right now. Amen. I mean, we have a future hope. We have a future glory. That future glory, what does that mean for us today? It means that we can approach him right now. Yes. Seeing God today means that we have an assurance of an audience with the Most High, the creator of the universe right now. James chapter 4, verse 8 tells us to draw near to God. He will draw near to us. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us in chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are near to Him. Psalm 24, David said, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall, verses 3 and 4, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The pure heart gets to stand in the holy place before the Lord. He gets to see God. He gets to have an audience with the Lord. Our future hope assures us today that we have an audience with the Lord. Today, John assures us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, that the Lord hears our prayers. You all know this passage like the back of your hands. I know I do. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that we have toward Him, that if we seek anything according to to his will, he hears us. So we can see him in prayer, in petition, in weeping, in groaning, in praise, in exaltation. We can see God when we go. We have an audience with the Most High. Seeing God today, we see the justice of the Lord. Not everyone gets to see that. Not everyone looks at the world and says... God is injustice because their justice is jacked, for lack of a better word. We align our sense of what's right and wrong with what he holds to be right and wrong. Proverbs 28, verse 5, evil men do not understand justice. Boy, ain't that the truth. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. You have so many folks trying to tell us that, you know, you do what's right for you. You ever heard that? You do what makes you happy. No one can tell you what to do. And all that sounds fine until you get to the root of it. You. Evil men do not understand justice. The Bible says that the, man, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked and desperately sick. So when men who are deceitful and wicked try to go after what deceitful and wicked man thinks what is right, you get deceitful and wicked things. Amen. Believers who are followers of Christ, those who have their hearts set on Him, undivided in their pursuit of Him, they understand a higher moral authority. We understand that God's law is sweeter than honey. Amen. We understand that His way is righteous. His law is righteous and His judgments are sure. They understand that there are consequences to our actions. We understand that we are content to live under those consequences, knowing that they are good and just and right, and most importantly, they are for our increasing joy. There's a reason that, that God has rules for marriage, because they are for our increasing joy. There's a reason that God has rules for immorality and, 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 and sexual purity. They're for our increasing joy. There's a reason for these things. It's not so that he can keep you from being happy. It's to increase your happiness. 
There's a reason that God says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. It's not to keep you from being happy. It's to increase your happiness. How much stupid has been committed because of drunkenness with wine? Seeing God today means seeing the goodness of the Lord today. Psalm 27, 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, we have a saying, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And the thing is, that all the time means all the time. Look at what David said. I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remember when dad was in the hospital so many years ago when he had his first major scare. He was in a coma, medicated coma. It was very touch and go. He was in and out of surgery for weeks. And we had this one nurse who was so negative. She kept telling us that he wasn't going to make it, and she kept saying things like, I know he'll be better on the other side. You know, we kept trying to be positive and say positive things around him. We know he is unconscious, but we don't know what they can hear when they're... uh, So we kept trying to say positive things around him and be positive. And she just... It was just a negative atmosphere with her. I know he'll be better on the other side. And, you know, yeah, sure, that's true. But, I mean, I kept, no. I had to, no. We will see the goodness of the Lord today. We had to get a different nurse. She was too negative. And, and in God's mercy, he gave us 10 more years with dad. Um, nearly 10 more years. But the thing is that he's good all the time. Not just when there's good news. The pure in heart that sees God can see the goodness of God all the time. So, you know, we, we just lost Dad, and that was hard. It was very, very hard. But right now he is uh, dancing and rejoicing and singing and praising, and he sees with eyes that he has never seen with before in his life. A heart that chases after God lets me see that. I had a dear friend of mine who just lost his grandson to leukemia two days ago. It's a devastating thing when a child dies. You know, it's one thing when a 73-year-old, 74-year-old man passes away who has, you know, been sick for so long and, you know, we've seen it coming. It's it's one thing when that happens. But when a child goes, it, it is utterly devastating. How do you see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living when that happens? It is only because of the radiance of the brilliance of that future hope, that future glory. It is so bright and so real, it outshines this present affliction. You know, we're not aloof. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt or that things don't shake us, but we're not knocked down. Having done all I can do to stand, I stand therefore. We see the goodness of God. That's what it means to have a pure heart 
and to see God. We see the goodness of God. You know, the world who doesn't have a pure heart, they don't see the Lord. They just see pain. They just see wicked. And even in the wicked, we can see God's hand at work. Even in the trials, we can see God's hand at work. Seeing God means seeing the joy of the Lord. When I talked to my friend yesterday, I asked him how he was doing. He said, I'm okay. I have joy. What a word to say in the aftermath of the death of your grandson. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's Nehemiah 8.10. If you've known me for very long, you know that I am convinced, utterly convinced that this is earth-shaking, life-changing truth. Our greatest joy is found when Christ is our greatest treasure. And that is our greatest strength. There is no greater defense against sin than our joy in Christ. See, we seek lesser joys in sin. We seek lesser pleasures. If we would know, if we would quit playing with mud pies and be convinced of the the weekend at the beach or the the eternity at the beach that we have, If if we would just get our eyes set on that, There is no greater keeper of our heart. There is no greater purifier of the soul than pursuing our greatest joy, our greatest happiness in Christ. There there just isn't any. It just makes sense. What, What keeps you with your wife, men? Is it is it looking at her thinking, oh, who wants that every day? Or is it looking at her thinking, wow? I am, wow, yeah, (laughs) what keeps you with her? What keeps you saved when you wake up in the morning from day to day? Is it, well, I I guess I'll just do good today? Or is it that your heart is inclined to him? I'm inclined to him. I delight in him. I want to do his will. I want to pursue him. I want to, I want to chase after him. Is it the same thing with your spouse? It ought to be. Are you inclined to her? Are you inclined to him? Because if you're not, any old thing will drag you away. Will it not? You might think you're happy with other stuff. You're not. You might know the fleeting and temporary pleasures, but oh, the deep and soul-satisfying joys of knowing and chasing Christ. The rich, deep well of serving and sacrificing and pouring yourself out. That is joy. It is far more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. And so this is so essential, this seeing the joy of the Lord, because fear won't save you. Fear never saved anybody. No one can be scared into salvation. You cannot be frightened or terrified or otherwise forced into loving anyone. And the the greatest commandment is the first and foremost that we love the Lord. 
What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And that only comes from enjoying Him. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. David says, Whom have I, have I in heaven but you? Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. In all of the universe, who have I but you? In all of the world, there's nothing I want but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is that your heart this morning? The pure heart, the undivided heart that sees God. I pray that you see Christ. I pray that you see him so brilliantly, so brightly, that he outshines everything else, that all the things of the world become strangely dim. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You are good and glorious and brilliant and bright. And I ask you right now, Lord, that you would purify our hearts, that you would come even now and set our sights on you, that you would help us, Lord, to chase you with everything that we've got. You said to love you with our whole heart. Lord, prick our hearts. Let us see what that means. Everything within us. Everything within us. Father, I pray that you send us out from here rejuvenated, ready to serve you and love you and love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.